Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Louis Torres. There was a certain missionary that had just gone to be a missionary in Africa. When he arrived, they showed him the facilities that he would be living in, as well as uh, the buildings, etc. And then they took him to the automobile that he would be utilizing. And they told him it was a great, great vehicle. There's only one problem. You have to push it. So, he got some people and did what? Pushed it. And as it got going, he jumped inside. He, what we call, popped the clutch. And what do you think happened? The thing started. He was excited. At least he would have a vehicle that he could use. Then he thought about how he's going to keep using this thing. And so he figured out that wherever he went, he would look for a hill. So he can park on a hill. And when he was ready to go, release the brakes. And then pop the clutch at the right time. And it always started. He did that for six years. Sometimes he couldn't find, find a hill, so... He had to either leave the vehicle running and run inside and get what he wanted and come outside before somebody took it, or he would have to find somebody to push it. He finished his term of duty, and someone, the person who came to take his place, likewise, you're shown around the facilities, just says it was done to him, now he's doing it to the other missionary, and then he took him to that wonderful vehicle. And he said, and we have a great vehicle. You can always count on it. You just have to push it. Well, the new missionary looked around the vehicle. Everything seemed to be okay. He looked in the boot, and then he went to the bonnet, and he opened up the bonnet. He looked inside. Everything looked all fine. I mean, there was an engine there and all the other parts. But he noticed there was a a wire dangling. And so he went and got some tools, came back out and put a screw where it belonged and tightened that uh, wire to where it was supposed to be tightened to. Went inside the car, turned the key, and what did it supposed to happen? Boom, it started. For six years, the other missionary had been pushing the old thing. Putting on the hill and jumping it with a clutch and all that. But all this time, what was the problem? The power was not connected. Let's pray together as we study God's Word. Father, we ask your blessing now as we look into your Word. We thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you a question. The text that was read by Mia, and by the way, You know, Mia means mine, right? All right. We happen to have another Mia. She's a, by the way, she's a girl that was, um, she's 
Australian, she's married to an American. Uh, Pastor Silva was here, I think. Uh, was he here shortly before? He went to the other church. His wife's name is Mia as well. So she read the text and it said, by what? By grace are ye saved through what? Through faith and that not of yourself. It is the the gift of God. So I'm going to ask you a question. When uh, you hear the word grace, normal definition for grace is what? What do people say grace is? Unmerited favor. All right. So it is what? It's say unmerited favor. Now I'm going to ask you another question. What does unmerited favor mean? Unmerited favor. The word unmerited means you didn't earn it. You didn't what? You didn't earn it. All right. Or you don't deserve it. Correct. Unmerited. So unmerited favor. Now, suppose I come to you and uh, I bring you a gift. And now we know that unmerited favor is a gift you don't deserve, right? So I come to you with a gift and I say to you, here, I got a gift for you. Okay? And what do you say? What is it? And I say, you don't deserve it. Does that tell you what it means? What's the answer? No. It doesn't tell you what it means. However, I can't believe how many people have accepted the translation or the the definition for grace as just simply something you don't deserve. Consequently, most people really do not know what grace is. And there may be people sitting in the pews for years and years and years and have heard of unmerited favor, unmerited favor, grace, grace, grace. We even sung the hymn, Marvelous Grace, right? But what is, what is grace? What is it? So let's do a little study on it. If grace is simply forgiveness, which that's, that's what most people think, grace is God's forgiveness. You didn't deserve it, he gave it to you. If grace, if grace is only forgiveness, uh, then we are all in trouble. Why? Because if all that God is offering you is forgiveness, and by the way, I'm grateful for forgiveness, but if that's the only thing that God is offering you, then all of you, including myself, will have to be confessing, 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 confessing forever. All right? How many of you are acquainted with this? How many of you have been in one of those? Okay. How many of you don't know what it is? It's called a confessional. And uh, the first time I went to a confessional, it was a hairy experience for me. Uh, because my mother said, you need to go, go and do your confession. And I didn't want to go and do my confession. Because my mother had no inkling as to what I was into. Do you understand? And she wanted me to go to confession. And as I said the other night, she had those sharp little nails. She always sharpened her nails. 
And if you didn't listen to her, somehow she had a way of getting all your ear and pressing. And that was it. You surrendered. You understand? So I went, but I had no idea what to do. So I asked somebody, what do you do inside there? They said, say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Well, that was easy. I could do that. So I went into this thing, and it turned out to be dark inside. And that was spooky for me. And so then I knelt down, and I said the magic words, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And then I heard, what have you done? Oh. I had no desire to tell whoever it was. Because the nuns used to tell me where I was going. And it was not up. You understand? And so I thought, if I tell whoever's in there what I've done, I'll go beyond where I'm supposed to go, according to the nuns. So I made up some story. I did what? I made up some story. And I was delighted to discover that he believed me. And then he said, go and say so many Hail Marys and burn a candle. You'll be okay, boy. Because I relieved. I went in there as a devil and came out as a worse devil. Right? But here's the problem. He offered me what? Forgiveness. But it left me the same wretched old self. Do you understand? While there's a, a desire to help people, in reality, if all that God is offering you is forgiveness, then we would have to be confessing all of the time forever. So God has to offer us more than forgiveness. That's why grace is not forgiveness. God forgives us, but grace is more than that. Okay? More than what? More than forgiveness. If you look at the book of Revelation, you would see several texts there that, that suggest that God wants you to overcome. God wants you to what? To overcome. And he says there, to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh. If he repeats it so many times, it means then that God wants you to be victorious in your life. Would you agree with that? He wants you to have victory. He wants you to be an overcomer. And then it says, the one who overcomes will eat of the tree of life. How many of you want to eat of the tree of life? Any of you? If you want to eat of the tree of life, what must you do? You must be an overcomer. And if you're an overcomer, it means that you're not a repeat performer. It means that at some point, God has enabled you to overcome. Okay? So, what then does he give us to overcome? Notice what it says in Ephesians 1.19. And what is the what? Is seeding greatness of his, what's the next word? Power toward us. It means to us, word actually to lift us up who we leave. According to the working of his mighty what? Power. God is anxious for you to overcome. And because he wants you to overcome, 
He knows you cannot do it in your own strength. Therefore, he has to provide something for you that you don't have. And that is power. What is it? Power. Okay? Now, with great power gave the disciples witness of what? Of the resurrection of who? Of Jesus. But what was with them? Great what? Grace. Now, it says they gave witness with how much power? Great power. But what was it that gave them the great power? What does it say? Great grace was upon them all. If they had little power, then how much grace? Little grace. But because they had great grace, they were able to witness with what? Great power. And it was that great power in them that enabled them to accomplish what they did in those days, in reaching Jerusalem and went to the other parts of the earth in those days. All right, now, Paul said, for I'm not ashamed of the what? The gospel of Christ, for it is again the what? The power of God and salvation. Now, notice it says, by grace are you saved, and then it says the gospel saves you. So are those two separate things, or is it one thing? It is one thing. God saves people with his power. With what? With his power. Okay? And the word that is used here, power, is actually from the Greek, which is what? Dynamite. How many of you have been near dynamite? Any of you? If you've ever been near dynamite, you know that thing has power. When I was in the military, they had holes, and they had sandbags around the holes. And we had to do low-crawling training, you know, to dodge the bullets. And I was low-crawling as fast as I could because I wanted to get out from underneath the bullets as fast as I could. And then all of a sudden, they turned on the lights. And when they turned on the lights, you're supposed to play like you're dead. So I just laid there, and all of a sudden, I went up in the air. I happened to stop next to the hole. And when they ignited that thing, boy, it shook the whole earth. And I went off the ground and came back. And when they shut off the lights, I'll tell you, I low crawl faster than a marathon runner. I made it out of there as quickly as I could. All right, great what? Power. Great power. So... And the whole multitude sought to, sought to touch him, for they went out what? Virtue. And what's the word for virtue in the Greek? Dunamis, which is dynamite or power, out of him and healed him. So what was it that was healing people? Power. What was it that converted people? Power. Whose power? God's power. So Paul... When he preached, he could see that something marvelous was taking place through his preaching. People would get converted. The thief would become honest. The drunkard would become sober. The white beater would become a loving husband. So, it says that he is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. If he had preached and nothing had happened, he would have been ashamed. But because he saw what the gospel could do, he was not what? He was not ashamed. Not a shame. So God provides what? Power. And that's what grace is. 
Divine grace is the what? Great element of saving power. It is not merely God's mercy and willingness to what? To forgive. It is, what's the next word? Active, what else? Energizing, what else? Transforming, what? Power to save. So it is an active, energizing, transforming power to save. God then knows that you and I need divine power. And so he just gives you the simple word. What's the word? Grace. What is it? Grace. Grace of God. Now, Ephesians 3.20, let me go back to that. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding, what else? Abundantly above all that we ask or think according to what? The power that works where? where? Within us. So, when a person turns to God, he is not left to himself to bring his life up to the level that would please God. Because that would be extremely disappointing and frustrating. So, God provides what? Grace. Now, I think you know, and perhaps you've heard people say something like this. The grace of Christ came when Jesus appeared on the earth. So, in the New Testament, people are saved by grace. In the Old Testament, people are saved by the law. How many of you have heard that? I didn't ask if you agree with it, but how many have heard it? Okay, only two of you. Where have the rest of you been? Okay, so, they say then that in the Old Testament, people were saved by the law. In the New Testament, people were saved by? By grace. And uh, I think I have the text here. Let me see if I have it. Yeah. And of his fullness have we all received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So they're insinuating then that you and I don't have to be saved the way that the Jews were saved. They had to wrestle and do everything possible to live in harmony with God's will. Otherwise they were lost. But you and I, all we have to do is believe, accept the gospel, and boom, we're saved. But that teaching is not supported by the Bible. What is supported by the Bible is this. That grace has always been around. Grace has what? Always Always been around. I want you to notice what it says. Notice it says, who have saved us and called us with what? With an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. And what's that word? And grace, which was what? Given us in Christ Jesus when? Before the world began. So how long has grace been around? How could that be possible? It's simple. Since grace is the power of God, grace has been around as long as God's been around. How long has God been around? Forever. Okay? Here's another text. Titus. For the grace of God that bringeth what? Salvation has appeared only to the Jews. Only to the Christians. What does it say? Has appeared to all men. And it includes the ladies too. Has appeared to who? 
to everybody. All right? So, this is important because it helps us to understand that whatever people did in the Old Testament, if they were to do things that were righteous, they only were able to do it by the what? By the power of God. No one, how many? No one on this planet has ever been saved by their own wits and abilities. Anyone who has ever been saved or shall be saved is only saved by the grace of God alone. By what? By the grace of God alone. Listen. For unto us was what? The gospel preached as well as to? To them. Who's them? Notice it says, But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with the faith uh, in them that heard it. Who was Paul writing about? Who's the them? He's writing about the Jews. And he's simply saying is that the gospel was preached to them like it was preached to us. So the same gospel that you receive is the same gospel that the disciples preached about. And it was the same gospels that the Jews had to receive in order to be saved. No one was ever saved by keeping the law. All who were saved were saved by grace. Let me give you a few texts. Noah found what? Found grace. What did Noah need grace for? The scripture says that in the days of Noah, it says that man was wicked. It says every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only what? Evil continually. So Noah was surrounded by evil influences and what kept Noah able to resist the current and the tide of evil around him was not that Noah was a very powerful man in himself but rather than that God's grace filled Noah sufficiently so that he could resist the current and the tide of evil all around him Noah found grace by God's grace Noah was saved by the grace of God, Noah built the ark. By his grace, he entered into the ark. And by the grace of God, he was spared with his family in that ark. And by God's grace, he landed on dry ground again. And by God's grace, all who lived in those days, if they wanted salvation, had to receive the grace of God. There had to be something inside that they didn't have that could change them. All right? Here's another one. Thus saith the Lord. Who's speaking? The Lord. The The people which were left of the what? Sword found grace where? In the wilderness. Even who? Israel. When I went to cause them to rest. So how were the Israelites saved? By what? By divine grace. By what? Divine grace. All right? So... For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace grace and what? And glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So God gives what? Grace. Grace. Where is that found? Where where is that quoted from? The Old Testament or the New Testament? The Old Testament. Grace was just as prevalent in the Old Testament as it was in the New Testament and as it is today. 
For God lets the sun shine on the wicked as well as he lets the sun shine on the righteous. He does not withhold his power from us. It is us who do not take advantage of that which God has provided. I remember when I was in school, in elementary school, and I can remember when the teacher made an announcement. He said it had just been determined by psychologists and psychiatrists that if your father has greasy hair, black hair, and he has a knife in his back pocket and he drinks, and your mother is on welfare, that you'll grow up to be the same. And when he said that, he didn't realize that he was talking about me. My dad did carry a knife in his back pocket. He did have black, greasy hair, and he drank. And my mother happened to be on welfare because my dad had abandoned my family, and my mother had to raise six boys by herself. So when he said that, I felt terribly constricted in a life that I could never change because I would be just like my parents. And there are too many people who feel that they're locked in by these sociological or uh, philosophical perspectives that people throw out there that ruin people's lives because they make people feel like they're in the mold. They're in, in what? In the mold. You can't change. You're stuck in the mud. But thank God for the gospel. What do you say? The gospel makes it plain that God provides for us something called grace. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he does what? He gives grace to who? Unto the lowly. So you can see that grace is found throughout the Old Testament. Grace is found in the New Testament. All right, now, why the need of grace? Why the need of grace? The scripture says that the Ethiopian cannot change his skin. That's the question. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? What's the answer to that? No. Then it says, can the leper change his spot? What's the answer to that? No. Then it says, then may ye also do good that are what? Accustomed to do what? Evil. It is suggesting then that all of us, how many of us? All of us are born into this world with the tendencies, the big word is propensities to sin, with the natural bent to do wrong. And if you don't believe it, just watch the little kids. And they show their bad manners pretty quickly, don't they? I always tell parents, children were made to make, to keep parents humble. And so, you recognize that being born as human beings, you either have inherited tendencies or cultivated tendencies toward which way? Toward evil. And because that's our natural way, there has to be something that can alter our path. And the only thing that can alter our path it's outside of us. It isn't something that we have within ourselves. You can educate yourself and learn how to, you know, do this and do this correctly. Put the knife and the spoon and the fork in the right place around the plate 
place setting and all that. You can learn to, to have manners and all that. But it doesn't change who you are inside. If you're ever going to be changed, it has to be by a power that's outside of you that must somehow become enter into you and change your thinking and your life so that you can become a different person. Without the grace of God, it is not possible for you to change. So, the Bible says then that the reason that you and I need grace is because there's something called sin in us. And that which is called sin in us is a violation of the law. For whosoever committed sin transgresseth what? Also the law. For sin is a transgression of the law. First John 3, 9, 3, 4, pardon me. And so the scripture makes it plain then that because there's a standard of righteousness and because you and I are born contrary to the standard of righteousness, we have something called sin. Okay? So because we're sinners by nature, God has to do something to change our nature. So God has to work in us. So it says in Romans 5.20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense may might abound. But where what? Where sin abounded, what's more abundant? Grace did much more abound. When I was a medic in the military and soldiers came to me who were trying to get out of work and, and act like they were sick, we had to check them out to see if they were sick or not, you know. And sometimes they were sick. And because they were sick, we had to then give them a something that was stronger than the sickness they had so that that would overcome the sickness and deliver them from that sickness. What do we call that? Antibiotics. How many of you are nurses here? Just one nurse? No more nurses? Two, three, four, okay. So... You know then that whatever you give to the patient has to be what? Stronger than the sickness itself. If you don't give the patient something stronger than the sickness, the disease, the bacteria, the virus will override that which has been given. So it must be potent. Must be what? Potent. Okay. So the scripture reveals then that God provided something that was more stronger or stronger than that which we are infected with. God provided the medicine called what? Grace. Power. And the power of God is stronger than the sickness in us, which is sin. Okay. So, God then allows his law to do its work not because God intends to make us look bad but you have to have a standard of righteousness if you're going to know the difference between right and wrong we have laws in this country I don't live in this country but I know you have laws and those laws basically the foundation of those laws are the Ten Commandments the what? now let me ask you a question if every citizen in Australia kept the Ten Commandments what kind of country would you have? Hmm? 
You wouldn't have to close your doors any longer. There'd be no divorces. There'd be no adultery. There would be no uh, divided families. There would be no liars. There would be no need for lawyers. There would be no need for all of these things that we provide, the police force and everything else. If everybody were to keep the, the Ten Commandments. You agree with that? Okay. The Ten Commandments, then, are the basis of what is right. But by nature, we have a tendency to do what's wrong. And in order to, to halt that tendency, God has to work inside of us to change us. And he uses his grace, okay? Uh, I should have read this statement before I passed it up. The grace of Christ is the what? The only antidote or preventative of evil. That's good news, what do you say? We're not stuck in the mud then. God provides grace. Notice what Paul said. Paul was praying about the problem he had. He was praying that God would remove it, and God gave him the answer. He said, my what? My grace is what? Sufficient for you. Then it says, for my what? Dunamis. My what? My dunamis is made perfect in? Weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That's good news. We're not left alone. We're not left to ourselves. While it's true that sometimes we have to wrestle against natural tendencies, it is also true that without the grace of Christ, you cannot change. God provides his grace, all right? Let us therefore come boldly unto where? Unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain what? Mercy and find what? Grace to do what? You see? Grace to do what? To help, which means it is an active agent that enables. In time of? So, what is grace then? Is it just forgiveness? Mercy? What is it? It is the power that God provides for each person to overcome. So let me just share with you the practical outworking of it. This is my mother when we were quite young. I'm this little one over here. Okay? So this is five of us. The oldest boy is missing in this picture. Probably he's taking the picture. Okay. So, we, we were born in Puerto Rico. All of us were born in Puerto Rico. And we were very, very extremely poor. My mother and dad lived uh, in a shack that they threw together of cardboard and tin or whatever. And we were so poor, we were not permitted to live on the land. We had to live off the land, over the bay, in houses who were built up on stilks. And if you happened to be rich enough, you could do a catwalk to get to your house. If you were not rich enough, you had to walk through the stuff that was dropped from all those houses because there was no sewer and no running water. So you either had to walk through it or walk above it if you had a few more shekels to throw together to do a catwalk. So that's where we were born. And my mother had a best friend, a girlfriend, and she lost her place 
of uh, to live in. So my mother, feeling uh, gracious and and uh, sorry for her friend, said, "Look, why don't you move in with us uh, until you can find your own place?" Okay. So the lady was happy. She came and stayed with us for about three months. At the end of three months, she left with my father. So she betrayed my mother's trust and put my mother into dire straits. I could remember at the age of four clinging onto my mother's skirt as she would go from door to door begging for food so she could feed the six of us. And I could remember then we had a little sister, by the way, and so the little sister got sick. And my mother did everything possible to get her well. But she wasn't succeeding. And in those days, we didn't have medical care. So the little girl got worse and finally passed away. And I remember, I remember the bitter tears that mother shed and uh, her pleading for God to help her. And then she would remember that woman. And I remember mother saying, oh, God, wherever that woman is, curse her. My mother was bitter. She was what? She was bitter. She had rancor in her heart for that woman. Okay. Well, my mother found another man who was a good man to us, stepfather, and they decided to move us out of that poverty situation and take us to New York City because they heard that there was money in the streets and the buildings to scrape the sky. So mother went with these big eyes hoping to find money in the street. She didn't find any money in the street. But anyway, they moved us there. And when we moved there, my stepfather could only afford to take three of us and my uh, mother. So he flew us over there, left us, got a one-room apartment. I remember the bathroom was in the hallway. It was one of those places where everybody shared the same bathroom on the floor. And so uh, she took uh, my little brother, he was a baby at the time. I was six years old at the time, and my brother Hector. And so the three of us went. We were planted there. He returned back to Puerto Rico so he could work and send another boy and then work and send another boy and then finally come himself and be together. Three months later, my mother got a telegram. He died. So there he was. There he was planning to do all those things. He died, leaving my mother up in New York City by herself. She didn't speak English. She had no skills. Uh, and the boys back over there. So I remember my mother weeping again. And I can remember her cries. Oh, Dios mío. My God, help me, help me, help me. And then she would remember that woman. And I would hear a different prayer. Oh, God, curse that woman wherever she is. And I remember her telling me, I remember her saying, if I ever catch that woman, then she would show me her nails. I'll tear her eyes out. I'll what? I'll tear her eyes out. So, we moved. My father, my uh, two uh, brothers finally came over. My oldest brother came over. I don't know how mother did it, but she did. She was working three jobs, uh, etc. I had to as a uh, six-year-old, my mother would go off to work, and my older brother loved to be out in the streets, so I had to be the one to take care of my baby brother. 
So I changed his diaper, I fed him and all that, all day until mother came home. And I was always glad when she came home to relieve me. So that's the way it was. And we moved from that place to another place, and now we're all together. And then my mother got cancer. And they told her that even if they operated, she wouldn't make it. Three months, maybe. In those days, they didn't know what cancer was. They didn't know how it worked, etc. But they knew that it was, it was fatal. And so I remember again mother weeping and praying that God would spare her. Not because she was afraid to die. She said, my God, if I die, who will take care of my children? They'll be left orphans. Don't let me go, God. Let me live until they're old enough. And then you can take me. That was her prayer. But then, who would she remember? That woman. Well, fortunately, God God gave my mother life. She lived to about 13 years after that. And then she got cancer again. And then the doctor said, you get it once, you've survived. You get it twice, no survival. Again, she prayed. And God's mercy was with her. She lived till she was 86 years old. She not only saw her children grow up, but she saw her grandchildren and some of her great-grandchildren. But listen. In the process of time, my dad had left that woman and went and ran off with another woman. And when he was with the other woman, the other woman began to take Bible study from the Adventist church. She didn't know they were Adventists. She was just taking Bible studies with correspondence. And my dad was a drinker and a fighter and all that. Well, finally, one day she heard him say something like this. If those people could help him quit drinking, I'll join them. She did not want to, she had no interest in being involved with Seventh-day Adventists. Because when she found out when one lesson was on the Sabbath, she said, oh, these people are Adventists. And then she decided to stop the studies, you know. Those people are occult, you know, etc. So, but when she heard her husband say, if they'll help me quit drinking, I'll join them. She thought, well, maybe, maybe that's the answer. So she took him to church. And one thing led to another, and the grace of God changed my dad's life. All right? He was baptized. The lady who took him was Lolita. She's still alive today. And Lolita took him, and my dad was baptized. Once my dad was baptized and Lolita was baptized, the grace of God changed their lives, and they decided that they'd do something for those boys that he didn't know where they were. So he went to New York to look us up and found us. When he arrived, we had no use for him. How much? No use for him. Now we were young men and gangs and all that. We could handle ourselves quite well. Thank you. You don't need to come around. Get lost. That's what we'd tell him. But he had such a burden for us. And he kept on witnessing and kept on coming around. And it took 10 years until one of my brothers finally, the grace of God, reached him. And then my oldest brother became converted. And then I was in showbiz and I came home and I got converted. And then my brother got converted. And then my mother got converted. And then my other brother got converted. And then my cousins got converted. And then my uncles got converted. It was a wonderful thing that happened to our family. By God's grace, my family turned to him. All right? By God's grace. Then I became a pastor. My brother became a pastor. And I moved to New Mexico. My brother moved to Chicago, the city where my dad was living when he married Lolita. 
So my brother heard I was going to be preaching in Spanish in Chicago. He said, hey, why don't you, why don't we have mom come over so she can listen to you? You pay half for the fare and I'll pay half for the fare. That's a great idea. So she came. And uh, on Sabbath morning, he took us to the church. We were in the foyer. And he said, wait a minute. I got something to do. I'll be right back. Wait for me right here. So we waited, waited in the entrance. My wife stood by me, my mother with me, and he took off. What he didn't say was this. One day he was knocking on the doors and he found lady number two, the one who ran off from my father, see? So he got this bright idea. He's going to invite her and not tell her my mother would be there and invite my mother and not tell her that she would be there. You understand? So she, uh, he ran off and came back and my mother was standing uh with her back toward the sanctuary and and her face toward the, the door. They were waiting. And he had told the lady, remember the little baby, that uh, the youngest one? Oh, she said, I'd love to hold him. I, I love that little boy. That was me. Says, well, now he's a preacher. He's going to be preaching in church. Wouldn't you like to see him? Oh, I would love to see him. Okay. So he goes and gets her. And we're waiting there. He comes and the door opens up. And my mother thought it was her boy. So she lifts her eyes. And it's not her boy. 35 years have passed. How long? 35 35 years have passed of suffering and misery and all that. And my mother experienced raising us by herself. And when she saw that woman, she immediately recognized her. And when that woman saw my mother, she immediately recognized her as well. And she froze. I remember her face turned pale. And I remember all the times that my mother used to say, if I ever get a hold of that woman, I'm going to what? I'm going to tear her eyes out. So we were expecting feathers to be flying. You understand? But here's what happened. Here's what happened. My mother gave evidence that the grace of God had done something for her. Because rather than jumping on that woman and beating her up, she opened up her arms, she walked toward the woman, grabbed her to her bosom, kissed her, and cried. Only the grace of God can do that in a human heart. What do you say? Only what? Only the grace of God can do that in a human heart. The reason why you and I need God's grace is because only by His grace can we become the people that God wants us to become. Only by His grace can you overcome the temptations that come your way. Only by God's grace can you change the temperament that you have. Only by God's grace can you overcome the habits that you have. The problem with us, folk, is that most of the time we spend time asking God to forgive us rather than asking God to empower us. To what? To empower us. Many times we surrender to the idea that we'll never change. We'll never change. And if you surrender to that idea, you will never change because you don't have the power to change. Only God's power can change you. Only by his grace can you become a different person. 
Only by his grace can you believe that you can be changed. God's grace. So this morning, in conclusion, perhaps you are struggling with something in your heart. Perhaps there's something that you've been wrestling with. Perhaps you doubt that you can change, that you can overcome. And today you recognize that the problem is that you're not connecting to the power. You're not what? You're not connecting to what? To the power. And all it takes is a hand of faith stretching out and saying, Lord, change me. That woman who needed healing from Christ thought, if I could only but what? If I could only but touch him. And when she had the opportunity, I don't know what she did because there were a lot of people around. I'm sure that, I'm sure that somehow she stretched her hand through all that mob and reached out and touched the hem. And that was necessary if she was going to receive the healing that she needed. Sometimes we are not stretching the hand of faith up to the Lord. Yes, we ought to pray for forgiveness. But more than that, we ought to ask for what? For the power. God, you provided. Give it to me. Change me. Folks, look, I would not be standing here before you today if it were not for the grace of God that delivered me from my wretched life before. I know by experience that God's power is there. I know it. But I also know that the problem is that we don't seek to connect to the power. We do not ask for it as much as we ought to. And consequently, we find ourselves struggling with the inner selves all the time. Anyone here today who would say, Lord, I hear your voice. I understand my need. I want to connect to that power. And I want to stretch my hand forth upward to heaven and say, Lord, as an evidence, I'm stretching my hand to you. And I want you to give me the power that I need. Anyone would like to raise his hand today and say, Lord, I need that power in my life. I thank you for the grace that you offer. And because you offer it to me, through it, I can change. I can overcome. I can become a different person. I don't have to be stuck in the mud. What do you say? How many of you would like to stand then? I would like to have prayer for you. And this morning you'd like to say, yes, Lord. I want to seal that decision with prayer. Would you stand then? We can pray together. Loving Father, how gracious you are to us. How willing you are to help us. For you know that we're frail, weak, deceived. You know the great need that we have. And we recognize today that you want us to do more than just pray for forgiveness. That you want us to connect to your power. We lifted up our hands and now we stand. And I pray, Father, that there's not one here listening to my voice that will hold back from requesting for you to give them the help that they need, as Paul asks. And as Paul suggested, that we ought to come boldly to the throne of grace to receive grace in time of need. Bless us, empower us, and save us, we pray.
In Jesus' name, amen. This message was made available by the Wallara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit wallarachurch.org. That's Wallara, W-O-O-L-L-A-H-R-A, church.org.
Have you ever watched birds flying and wished you could do that? How many changes would have to be made to a human body before we could simply leap into the air and fly over mountains on our own power? You're probably thinking of quite a few changes. But imagine how many more changes would be required to make a reptile capable of flight. Yet Darwinists claim reptiles were modified into birds. If that occurred, then at least some of the innumerable intermediate forms between reptiles and birds should be recorded in the fossil record. This new display in the GRI building presents what is actually in the fossil record. Bird fossils exhibit a common fossil pattern. They appear suddenly and fully formed to fly. What about other flying organisms? No matter what the creature, flying is not a trivial achievement. It requires many adaptations that should be reflected in fossils. Yet when we look at insects, those that fly appear fully formed to fly without obvious intermediates in lower layers. Pterosaurs exhibit the same pattern of sudden appearance, fully formed to fly, and so do bats. Look at this cast of the lowest fossil bat and compare it with this modern bat skeleton. Does the fossil look more primitive? The fossil bat even appears to have been capable of echolocation, just as modern bats are. The purpose of displays like this is not to engage in complex debates, but to present the data as they are, so that the patterns can be clearly seen. In this particular case, the pattern of sudden appearance of organisms fully formed to fly is clear and occurs in all groups of organisms that engage in powered flight. The pattern does not support Charles Darwin's theory of evolution, but is consistent with the idea of creation as recorded in the Bible. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.